0: This is Bloomberg Business Week with Carol Masser and Jason Kelly on Bloomberg Radio. So he is well known to our listeners in the global business community, named CEO of Honeywell in 02, stayed there until early 2017, former CEO of TRW, senior exec at GE, and today he is chairman of Vertive Holdings, also a senior advisor at the private equity firm KKR. He is out with a new book, Called Winning Now, Winning Later How Companies Can Succeed in the Short Term While Investing for the Long Term. We're delighted to have with us David Cote. He joins us on the phone from Atlanta. Dave, nice to have you here with Jason and myself. How are you and how is Atlanta?
1: Well, things are going pretty well and we just passed a short rainstorm. It's beautiful right now.
2: Well, Well, I was talking to my folks down there, Dave. They live uh, there in the Atlanta area, right in Buckhead. And, you know, they were saying it's just it's kind of a strange time because obviously the cases are are rising a little bit. But Atlanta feels a a little bit open. I mean, I wonder, as someone who understands so much of this, especially from an economic and a business perspective, you know, what's your short term? We're going to talk about short term and long term, but what's your short term outlook for the, the local economy there?
1: Well, I mean, you're right. Things are a little more subdued here, uh, as they are everywhere. But when it comes to how do we manage our way through this, it comes back to me, that same principle, short-term, long-term. And that's, you have to figure out how do you accomplish two seemingly conflicting things at the same time. And that's always true in uh, business, and I'd argue in life. It's true whether it's how do you accomplish short-term and long-term. They're not mutually exclusive. The same is true with how do you open the economy but keep everybody safe? And everybody seems to, human nature tends to want one thing. You either keep everybody safe and stay at home or you just completely reopen. And we just need to be thoughtful about how we, how we do this. And you're seeing different experiences everywhere because I don't think everybody is always as careful as they ought to be because they start thinking, oh, well,
0: everything's fine now.
1: It's not something that's a a binary choice. We've got to figure out a way to accomplish both.
0: Yeah, and that's not tricky, certainly, this, as we've seen in terms of how it plays out. You know, it's interesting, though, you know, this whole short-term, long-term, Jason and I, uh, Dave, have a lot of conversations um, about the lack of long-term planning, certainly maybe on a government level uh, in terms of some of the needed programs around the country. But even it's difficult, I think, if you're a publicly held company, to think long term, um, tell us when you were, you know, running your companies, whether it was Honeywell, whether it was TRW, you know, constantly thinking about that quarter to quarter. And I know we report on it. Um, how that kind of ties your hands?
1: Well, uh, this is where uh, my view is different, and it's not so much that it ties your hands; it's that you need to just think differently about how you run the company, and that's why. The, title of the first chapter is banishing intellectual laziness because it's too easy to just say, well, you know, markets demand it. you got to make the quarter. So we have no money to do this stuff. But instead, if you look, start to look at your business differently and say, all right, I have to accomplish both. How do I make sure I start thinking about both and accomplishing both at the same time? So you start planning differently. And instead of we'll say long range planning or strategic planning be an annual event, you start to figure out how do I make this more short term, so that I've got these milestones or even better inchstones to make sure I'm making progress. How do I run my operation so that I generate enough money so that I have the flexibility to provide the return my investors are looking for, but at the same time invest in the future. If you take a look at Honeywell, for example, we had an empty pipeline of everything in the beginning, mm-hmm. and we slightly outperformed the S&P 500 in the first four or five years. And I used to get questions from investors about it. Why isn't it better? And I'd say, well, I've got an empty pipeline. I've got to put money into this stuff. And if you take a look at the subsequent 10 years, we just blew away the S&P 500 so that over 16 years, we generated an 800% return, two and a half times the S&P
2: 500, because all that long-term stuff pays off. So... Why don't more people do that, David?
1: Um, I think it's, it, first of all, it takes a lot of work. And you do have to really think about your business differently. And it's not an easy mindset for people to grasp, yeah. uh, having to do the two conflicting things at the same time. Right. Human nature always wants one. You know, tell me, boss, what's the one thing you want?
2: Yep. It's, it's
1: too easy to gravitate to that, whether you've got 10 people thousand people, a hundred thousand people. It's an easy refuge.
0: Do you think the companies that ultimately do well, like, and I think about, you know, are those that really do manage it well and maybe give up some quarterly growth perhaps, but they understand and they communicate it well to their investors about what they're doing. Those are the companies that potentially and and ultimately survive. Like I think about a company like GE, you spent time at GE, you know, they spent a lot of money on a lot of different things and then it, you know, they really got into a really rough spot.
1: Yeah. Not all long-term spending makes sense. Uh, Just because it's long-term doesn't mean it's going to work. Right. And this is where I I get to, you got to have some kind of short term milestones, inchstones if you will to say, okay, is this working? And I often say there's three aspects to leadership. The first is mobilizing a large group, which is the most visible, but it's 5% of the job. The second one is picking the right direction. and Then the third one is making sure that the entire organization moves in that direction. And I think we did a pretty good job at Honeywell in saying, okay, what are these long-term seeds that we're planting, and are they going to pay? And if they stopped paying, well, we stopped working on it. Right. Uh, My successor is doing the same thing, so it it makes me feel pretty good about where that's going, and that's what we're doing at Vert of Holdings, also, where
2: I'm executive chairman. Got to ask you about leadership, because we have gone through the last few months, it feels like, waxing and waning as a society, as a culture, um, so many crises that we're facing, and you know, you served at the top of a number of companies. You also served on the board of the Federal Reserve Bank of New York, uh, I believe. So you understand the workings of government uh, and companies in the corporate world. What do you make of leadership of the, let's just start with the first crisis, the coronavirus crisis that we've seen from both the government level and, and maybe the state and local level?
1: Well, uh, I think there's going to be a lot to learn when we do the post-mortem of. Uh, how could we have handled this differently? The, um, if we take a look at the economic cost of how we went about it, uh, it's absolutely huge. And <clears throat> we need to be a lot more thoughtful about how we handle these things in the future. Uh, supply chains for key medical uh, equipment is something that's going to uh, need to get uh, revisited. Uh, making sure we've got the capacity to handle uh, issues that come up in the future, and just getting better compliance uh, across the country when it comes to what exactly everybody ought to be doing. Yeah, this is, We just weren't that uh, prepared for it. Uh, nobody was. I mean, there was no country that was, so I, I don't fault anybody for this. But we sure ought to learn from this on how to make sure we have better early warning systems, uh More money going into some of the national organizations that understand uh, what to do with these crises and forecast them a little better when you see a smidge of something happening, how do you respond to it? So, I think there's going to be uh, hopefully a really good post mortem analysis done here on after action report on what do we do? What do we do with the the next time it happens? Because we've got to assume that, with especially the population of the planet going to 10 billion people over the next 35 years, according to the U.N. report, and it's more extensive travel, uh, this is going to happen again. We need to be a lot better prepared, flexible, and responsive. We're never going to be able to predict exactly what it is, but we can sure make ourselves a lot more flexible in terms of response.
0: Yeah, exactly. And I do wonder, you know, it's interesting leadership this time around, you know, if it wasn't coming necessarily on the federal level, we certainly saw it on the local level. We also saw, Dave, you know, CEOs, I feel like, step up and whether it was taking care of their workers, you know, when they needed to. And I do wonder, you know, how that, you know, if that changes going forward that, you know, companies understand that in some cases they may be on their own with this.
1: Yeah, um uh- I'd say that's probably going to be pretty typical just because uh, mm. companies are smaller than governments. So you can respond uh, faster. You don't have to convince a lot of people to do something. You can just go ahead and do it. So you are going to be able to respond faster. And, yeah, I think everybody should be pretty proud of how companies responded uh, overall here, whether it's uh, trying to get the key uh, uh, supply uh, things that were needed, the, how do they protect their workers, I think companies did a pretty good job, but everybody's going to need to up their game going forward because it's been a huge learning experience for companies, state governments, federal governments, uh, medical, uh, whether they're hospitals, uh, doctors, uh, agencies, everybody's going to have to up their game here.
2: Well, speaking of upping their game, David, there seems to be consensus that companies (laughs) need to do more and need to be more methodical and more proactive and make real decisions and maybe some hard choices around diversity and equality. Uh, You know, you're there in Atlanta where so many things have happened historically and of late uh, around questions of of civil rights and, and the gross inequalities that exist in our system. So much of it is economic. As a leader, how do you think about this? How do you think about it at your company? And what are some of the conversations you're having?
1: Well, I'd say uh, I have to preface all of this, of course, with uh, I'm a 67-year-old white male former CEO who grew up in New Hampshire, so it's not uh, the last thing I ever want to pretend to is that I'm uh, an expert in this area or that uh, I've got it right. I would say, though, I do think this is another area where both a short-term and a long-term approach can make a difference. On the short-term side, there's all the stuff that we need to just do better than we do today. The hiring uh, side of it, well, and I was pretty proud of our track record at uh, Honeywell, criminal justice reform, uh, policing tactics, those are all things we ought to address. However, there's a big long-term aspect to this that I don't think gets talked about all that much, And that's, okay, what are some of the root causes for why minority uh, populations are overrepresented in the lower socioeconomic classes? And if we take a look at one, I'd say education. And the way we fund education based on property taxes largely, which means wealthy school districts have more money, better schools, poor ones don't. Yeah. And unless we do something to address that, we just perpetuate these class distinctions, which, yes, affects minorities, but also affects uh, white families that are in the same boat.
0: Yeah, no. I'd like to see more discussion about some of those. What are some of the longer term things we need to do? All right. David Cody, got to leave it there. Thank you so much. Come back. We would love to talk more. David Cody, of course, former Honeywell CEO. Check out his book, Winning Now, Winning Later.